Sikhism, the youngest of the world's major religions and the fifth largest, was founded in the Indian subcontinent a little over 500 years ago. While most Sikhs today live in India, there is a large Sikh diaspora spread across the UK, US, Canada, East Africa, and several other countries. There is, however, little understanding in the West about the history and the beliefs of the Sikhs. We hope to change that. I'm Erica Wong, co-producer. In the third season of The Story of the Six, we continue our engaging journey through the history of a rebellion, which rocked the foundations of the established social order of the time, and ended with the creation, development, and establishment of a new faith. Guru Gobind Singh has left the world, and with him, the line of human Sikh gurus has come to an end. The faith, however, has not been left rudderless. Spiritual power vests in the Guru Granth Sahib, the Sikh scripture, and temporal power has been returned to the Sikh community at large, which exercises it through the institutions of the Pand Piare, or the Five Beloved Ones, and the Gurmata, or the Council of the Guru. Years of turbulence, sacrifice, and unimaginable glory lie ahead. We go back a little in time and pick up the story as the Guru marches to the south. Before we begin the episode, we have a favor to ask of you. If you find this work compelling, please be sure to rate it and write a short review. That will definitely help us get the podcast to a wider audience. The year is 1708. Guru Gobind Singh, accompanied by his beloved Sikhs, is in the town of Dadu Dwara in modern-day Rajasthan on his way south, where he is to meet up with Mughal Emperor Bahadur Shah. The poet Ratan Singh Pangu writes about the arrival of the Guru in Dadu Dwara. Jab Satgur Dakhan Pujay Jaithon Dadu Dwar Dera laya dekh tham sang panj sat singh hazar Bajay nagare jhule nishan Pade baniyan kis kare na kaan Chandi charitra o chandi ki war Akal ustat ko kare uchar Jim jeth tapat mad barkha hoye Bole dadar sukh pave soye Ghor ghata man mor pukare Is chhab so sikh bani uchare Kite granth kat pustake, kite pade mukhwak, kite pade rababi rabable, lagrahio intrasan tart, kit janjim redang upang baje, kit due kartal rabab baje, jal bean subin praveen saje, kit tar satar tambur saje. Jach kinner narad hahu hu, dhan tomar. Uluk san saj sajay Imthat thateo so huzur guru Lakh hot indrasan laj lajay Kai satgur ke a charni padayen Lai satgur hukum kai dero karayen 
इंद्र जिम गुर बहे हथ इंद्र धन जैस कमान चोर मुठे ऐसे फिरे जानक मोर नचान तहा शहर में पर गई धाक देखण लोक लग गई लाक दर्शन ते उन मन पते आया लई चढ़ावे शहर चल आया दादू द्वारे खबरों पई नानक आयो सतगुर आदर तिस बह कियो संत साध मिर जादा थियो दर्शन परसन भय प्रसन्न कहयो तू नानक गुर भयो धन For the south the Guru left, on the way lay Dadu Dwar. There the Guru set up camp, Khalsa's thousands ready for war, Beating drums and fluttering flags, Hymns recited with no fear, Praise of fierce goddess divine, Akalustat they sing and hear, Cooling rain after the heat, Frogs revel, rejoice and sing, Thundering clouds and sweet bird song, such joy does the chanting bring. Scripture Khalsa's read recite, and the Guru's words declaim. Verses sung with lute and drum, create on earth the God's domain. Melodies seem to come from far, sweetly sounds thus every string. Songs composed by bards divine, envy to the gods they bring. Bow in hand on a royal throne, resplendent guru of gods the king. Around his head a dancing whisk, grace of a peacock seem to bring. Like a wildfire spreads the news, they rush the guru to behold, gaze upon him and feel blessed, offerings rich and gifts untold. The saints of Dadu Dwara flock, not at the tenth he did appear, welcomes him their master too, with acolytes come from far and near, offered him the guru respect, following traditions old, the master at the guru's feet, blessed to Nanak's form, behold. The master of the saints of Dadu Dwara, who had come to pay his respects to Guru Gobind Singh, was Mahant Jatram. He expressed great joy at the Guru's arrival and requested that he be allowed to serve a meal to him and his followers, which the Guru graciously accepted. The meal was served, and after the Sikhs had eaten their fill, the Guru had a wide-ranging discussion with Mahant Jayatram. The Mahant, upon learning that the Guru was headed south, recounted a strange encounter that he had had with a hermit during one of his own southern journeys. The name of the hermit was Narandas. Mahant Jayatram told the Guru of the hermit's odd behavior. Mahant gal ik nai sunai, kime gaye the ham utthai, Narayan das tho tisko naam, panth beragan mein us dham, ek palang un khub banayo, uske upar hame bahayo, ham janeyo im adar kareyo, huto dusht vah maskari bhareyo. बैठायो उस पलंग पर पुन उन दयो उल्टाए करी मस्करी हम घनी हस हस लिट लिट पाए खट दर्शन को मस्करी करे 
गुर पीर ते नाह सो डरे आप कहावे वह गुर पीर संत निंदक वह बेगुर पीर महंत कही उत्वल न जइयो उसते टल के दूर सधइयो सतगुर कही जो सतगुर करे बने नहीं अब हमको टरे सो हमको राह बताओ नाम थाम ओ ग्राम सुनाओ जा देखे हम उसकी सिद्धि कौन गुरु जिसते भई वृद्धि Jethram he tells the tale of a place he'd gone to see lived there one Narayan Das a hermit he was known to be in a shrine a single bed on it the hermit bid him lie honored thus Jethram was pleased but mischief planned the hermit's sly on the bed when sat the saint the rascal tipped it with a heave on the saint he played a trick laughing did he saint deceive spares he not no holy man their curses he does not fear dares to call himself a saint he is a blackguard it is clear I beg you lord to him avoid to the south pick a new route in response the guru says the will of god i cannot flout tell me where to find this man tell me where he does abide his powers i shall test myself whither comes his haughty pride jethram begged the guru to avoid narendras at all costs the mahant was specially concerned because the path to the south passed by the evil hermit's compound and he couldn't bear the thought of the guru being insulted by the knave the guru was most intrigued by the tale of the hermit what sort of man has the temerity to challenge and insult mighty saints whose powers are universally respected and whose curses are feared by all the guru asked the mahant mahant jatram still smarting from his humiliation at the hands of narandas looked at the guru i will tell you all i know about him lord he said earnestly but i beg you not to seek him out on the banks of the river godavari lay a town called nander narandas lived in a compound at the southern end of the town Many years earlier as a young man he had attached himself to a troop of itinerant mendicants and while wandering with them he came upon a powerful sorcerer Narendras decided to enter the sorcerer's service and over time he became his chief disciple learning the arts of necromancy at his feet After his master taught him all he knew he bequeathed on him a book that contained all the hidden secrets of sorcery the book according to jatram had been written by alunia sid the favorite disciple of the mighty sage goraknath with whom gurunanak himself had discoursed the book contained knowledge of invocations talismans alchemy and the means to tame venomous snakes and wild beasts the practice of the dark arts was described in it becoming invisible walking on water flying into space lighting mighty fires and putting them out eating hot coals all this was possible for the one who possessed the book and was privy to its secrets and all this narendras had been taught to do and more 
He could make herbs speak out aloud about their healing qualities. He could turn a man into a woman or a woman into a man. He could bring rain and storms and change the direction of the wind. No forts or armies could stand before him, and he could bequeath victory or defeat as he willed. Such a man was the hermit Narendas. The guru had heard enough. Jo satnanak kala savai, use lehenge peri lai, yokar satgur huante ture, pucheo raha bandeke pure. By the grace of Nanak the Great, the hermit I shall bring to heal. With these words the Guru left to find the hermit, make him kneel. The Guru and his entourage left Dadudwar and after several long marches arrived in Nandir where they set up camp. The Guru then sought out the hermit's compound, which to his surprise was large and well constructed. The Guru's followers marveled at a water wheel which seemed to be turning on its own, unaided by the oxen that they were accustomed to seeing. Narayandas's dwelling was palatial, and in it he had installed a large and opulent bed covered with fine fabrics and cushions. The bed magically levitated a yard above the ground, and it was said that only Narendras could sit on it. If anyone else dared to lie on it, he would be spilled to the ground, as Mahant Jatram had been. Narendras was not at home. He had left the compound on some business, and only his attendants were present. The guru strode into his chamber and clambered onto the hermit's bed to rest. As his men were hungry, he commanded them to slaughter the hermit's flock of goats and prepare a meal for everyone. In a panic, Narendas's servants ran to fetch him, telling him of the intruder who had occupied his bed and whose men had slaughtered his goats. Narendas returned home in a towering rage that intensified when he saw the guru reclining on his bed. He closed his eyes and commanded his attendant spirits to tip the bed over. The guru pressed down on the bedposts with four arrows, and the spirits were powerless to move it. Kill him! The hermit thundered. But much to his chagrin, the spirits, completely cowed down by the guru, told him that they could do nothing. Narayandas's captive spirits had never failed him before, and for the first time, he felt fear. He looked at the guru's calm face, wondering if he had finally met a master more powerful than he. His haughty nature reasserted itself, and his rage started to bubble again as he saw the guru's followers feasting on his goats. Deal with them, then, he commanded the spirits. The spirits tried to attack the guru's six, but the barrage of arrows he rained down made them flee in fear. That was the moment that Narendras realized that he had finally met his true master. He sank to his knees and bowed his head before the guru, who addressed him sternly. तब अधीन हुए चरणी परयो तब सतगुरु मुख बचन उचरयो 
को तू पंथी को गुर तेरा करे मस्करी संतन केरा क्या तुम समसर जग में नाही क्या बड़ कला एक तुम ही माही करे मस्करी संत जो सो होए खुआर भांड भगत ये डूम लुच्चे इनकी है ये कार to his knees the hermit fell and thus spoke the guru then what is your path who is your lord you dare dishonor holy men is there none mighty as you power such that can to shoe he who doesn't pranks indulge he will be by trouble racked meanest of the lowly base shameless is his every act complex emotions were surging in the hermit's heart he was a proud man powerful feared and respected yet he had been humbled by one more powerful than he he should have been furious why then did he feel at peace instead why did he feel so drawn to the man who had so effortlessly bested him tab un kahyo main banda tora main tu sikh guru tu mora pichli baat maaf hum kije ab hue fir to ji ayo kije ab hum bhayo tumaro das so main karo hukm hue khas humko kije apno das das jaan rakho nij pas I am your slave you are my lord my guru I am in your care pray forgive my misdeeds past all of them I lord forswear oh my lord I am your slave your wish now is my command pray lord take me in your fold each day lord keep me at hand in the rich imagination of ratan singh pangu This is how Narendas, hermit and sorcerer, feared by many and possessed of formidable powers, became the disciple of Guru Gobind Singh. Pleased by his submission, the guru admitted him into the order of the Khalsa, as Narendas had declared himself to be the guru's banda or slave. That was the name that the guru blessed him with. From that day, Narayan Das was known as Banda Singh. came Banda Singh called Narayan Das in Ratan Singh Pangu's account is variously referred to as Lachman Das and Madho Das in other accounts he was born in 1670 at Rajori in modern day Kashmir the son of a poor farmer named Ramdev little is known about the young Narayan Das's early life Hailing from a family of Rajputs, erstwhile warriors, the lad was introduced to hunting and riding from an early age. It was during a hunting expedition in his youth 
that his life changed suddenly. The lad shot a doe, and he was much moved by the doleful expression on her face as the last few breaths left her body. When he cut the doe open, to his horror he realized that she had been pregnant. The two fawns that emerged from the doe's womb writhed in agony as they died before his eyes, touching him to his core. The lad gave up hunting and his martial training and became extremely melancholy, only finding solace in the company of holy men, when an itinerant ascetic by the name of Janaki Prasad Beragi appeared in Rajori, the 15-year-old lad attached himself to him and left home to wander with his band. Years of wandering brought him to the vicinity of modern-day Nasik, where he made the woods of Panchavati, associated with the Hindu god Ram and his wife Sita, his home. There he secluded himself and immersed himself in meditation. It was there that he met an old ascetic named Agarnath, who, according to some sources, might have been the mysterious Alunia Sid, the author of the Book of Mysteries that had given Narendas his powers. Agarnath was a renowned sorcerer and a master of the tantric arts, and Narendas attached himself to him, serving him with single-minded devotion. By the time Agarnath died in 1691, his young acolyte had become his heir and the inheritor of both his mantle and his book of secrets. Narendas traveled south to establish a monastery of his own and arrived in the town of Nandir, where he built his compound. News of a powerful ascetic's arrival spread quickly, and people began to flock to his hermitage seeking his favor. Rich offerings abounded, and soon Narendas became haughty and arrogant, convinced that he was the most powerful sorcerer and ascetic on earth. He had been presiding over his monastery in Nandir for 16 years, when he had the memorable encounter with Guru Gobind Singh that changed his life yet again. Singh was transformed into a Khalsa, fired up with zeal and eager to serve his guru. He immersed himself in the study of his new faith, learning about the noble ideals of Guru Nanak, the sacrifice of Guru Arjun and Guru Tegh Bahadur, and the valor of Guru Hargobind and his own master Guru Gobind Singh. He was particularly moved by the stirring tale of Chamkor where the Guru's older sons Sahibzada Ajit Singh and Sahibzada Jujhar Singh had fallen valiantly in battle. He wept unabashedly when he heard of the bravery of the Guru's younger sons Sahibzada Fateh Singh and Sahibzada Zoravar Singh and the equanimity and poise with which they accepted the terrible end that they faced at the hand of Nawab Wazir Khan of Sarand. His immersion in the history of his new faith only served to intensify his enthusiasm and zeal for service. Unfortunately, the opportunity presented itself 
quickly under terrible circumstances. The Guru had been mortally wounded by assassins that had been sent by Vazir Khan, who had been nervously watching the rapprochement between Guru Gobind Singh and his own overlord, the Mughal Emperor Bahadur Shah. The Guru had been planning to return to Punjab, and since he was no more at odds with the Mughal throne, it would have spelled trouble for Vazir Khan. It was starting to become clear that the Guru was nearing the end of his journey. Banda Singh's blood boiled and his heart filled with rage. Vazir Khan, who had mercilessly butchered the young princes, had now attacked the Guru himself. There had to be a reckoning. He wept before the Guru and begged to be given a task at his master's pleasure. Bar bar bando pag pareo, to satgur sir pe hath dhareo, bande kahi kich aagya deho, khijmat hame ko bakshe ho. Satgur kahi tum jog yeh kaar, ja sahabzadan ghati maar, srand ko maar fir maari pahar, satgur sompi tis yeh kaar. Sikhan rakh asik sankhariyo, daas hoye ta usay ubariyo, ਦਿਲਿਓਂ Task me, Lord, with your command, for a mission I beg, he said. The Guru regarded the once haughty hermit who was now his beloved Sikh. For you, then, I have a task. Tender lives the one that took. Hill chiefs and the town Sarand, both your task to bring to book. Slay the enemy, save the Sikhs. Mercy for those who submit. Strife on Delhi, go unleash. Hills efface, it is my writ. There is a creeper, Bando by name. For trees is deadly, it's embrace. Bando mine, you shall become. The Mughal throne, you shall efface. It is important to make a point here. Ratan Singh Pangu writes with a poet's imagination, and a casual reading of his words could suggest that Banda Singh was being primed as an instrument of vengeance against Vazir Khan, the Hill Rajas, and the Mughals by Guru Gobind Singh. I turn to the words of the eminent historian Dr. Ganda Singh, excerpted from his work, Banda Singh Bahadur, based on contemporary and original records. The mission of Banda Singh has been generally misunderstood by historians. He is represented as being commissioned by Guru Gobind Singh to avenge the death of his sons, just as the Guru himself is said to have been prompted in his early days to avenge the death of his father, Guru Teg Bahadur. There is nothing in history to warrant this conclusion. The Guru never led any offensive expedition against Aurangzeb or any of his local deputies. In all his wars, either against the Rajas of the Shivaliks or against the Mughal officers, 
Whether at Bhangani, Anandpur, Chamkor, or any other place, we always find him on the defensive, taking to the sword as the last resort in self-defense and for self-preservation. He was far above personal animosities. Those who are acquainted with the tenets of Sikhism, the writings of the Guru, and the various events of his life, cannot believe that he could ever have thought to ask anyone to avenge the murder of his own sons. Satgur akhi jo bande so unkari manzoor pargat hui jagat gal kiyo banda bharpoor On hearing the Guru's command, Banda bowed his head. The news spread like wildfire. In him might did the Guru embed. Bande gur khanda dayo, layo unhe gal paaye. Khal se dekh so vittadeyo, tin khando laye chinaye. Tab faryad un gur par kari, sat gur has has chit bichri. Cheez apni inhe sabhari, on Banda the Guru bequeathed sword with two edges his own, much chagrined the Khalsa, seized it, it's ours they did depone. What is this Lord? Banda complained. The Guru laughed of his worry freed. It is theirs, Banda, it's true. They are my heirs, it is decreed. During the Battle of Chimkor, the Guru had accepted the supremacy of the institution of the Khalsa, represented by the Panjipyare or the Five Beloved Ones. Temporal power was going to rest in them. Perhaps he had been testing his followers when he handed his sword, which symbolized his authority to Bandasing. The reaction of the Khalsa, who indignantly snatched the double-edged sword away from Banda, delighted and amused the Guru. For Banda Singh had not been anointed his successor. He had been appointed to military command for the expedition. The Khalsa at large were to be his heirs forever. A dismayed Banda was much mollified by what happened next. Bakse Bande ko Kehyo Satgur e panj hai beer, Pade lord jit valtuh aaye, Inmo te ik dahi chalaye, Pohn vage boh dhoor uđaye, Dushman drisht and huye aaye, Ulte fauj pain paltaye, Dushman maar fateh jang paaye. Arrows five to Banda gave, Upon him he bequeathed their might, Only when you feel the need, one of them you launch in flight. Winds will blow and dust will fly. All your foes, they will be blind. They'll make your enemies turn and flee. Into the dust you will them grind. The Guru then commanded Banda Singh to leave Nandir and begin his mission. But Banda humbly made a plea. Jojo agya satgur dai so bande. Everything the Guru said, faithfully Bandar did pen. Send with me, Lord, if you please. Six wise some who can teach men. 
तब गुरु सिंह मझेल रलाए बाबे विनोद सिंह कान सिंह चढ़ाए दया सिंह ओणन सिंह भले बेहजूर भुजंगी बंदे घले बाज सिंह बल बीरपुर पट्टी वारो सतगुरु संग दे भाई चारों और चढ़ाए बड़ सिदक वारे रहत हजूर थे गुरु प्यारे Hardy souls from the heart of Majja, Binod Singh, Khan Singh joined the band, Daya Singh, Anand Singh blessed, and from his guard, warriors grand, Baj Singh Bal from Meerpur Patti with Bandha four brothers sent, men some more of fortitude, everywhere with the Guru went, Binod Singh, Khan Singh, Daya Singh, Anand Singh, Baj Singh Bal, and several other beloved Sikhs drawn from his personal guard were deputed by Guru Gobind Singh to ride with Banda Singh on his journey north. Banda Singh was invested with a Nishan Saab, the Guru's standard, and a Nagara or kettle drum, both symbols of the Guru's authority. Hukumnamas or formal declarations signed by the Guru confirming Banda Singh as his representative and commanding Sikhs to join his expedition, were issued. Banda Singh was invested with the title Bahadur or Valiant, and from then on, he was known as Banda Singh Bahadur. Some of the Khalsas present at the time of Banda Singh's departure, somewhat nonplussed at the very public elevation of Banda Singh, approached the Guru. Khalsa's the Guru approached, humbly they addressed a plea, The Khalsa Lord you made supreme, Many a times your words heard we, The Turks, O Guru, they will be slain, For surely it is will divine, But should Banda covet the throne, Turn on him will Khalsa's thine. Satguru suneo khushbhae, So bande kahdeen, By these words was the Guru pleased to Banda, he then turned, Never defy the Khalsa, or you might be burned. Strive if you for their well-being, content and happy you shall be. But if you do ill by them, full of sorrow a life you'll see. The final command to Banda Singh was clear and unequivocal. While he was being entrusted with a vital mission, he could never forget that the Guru had decreed that the Khalsa were supreme. As a trusted lieutenant of the Guru's, it was his duty to serve the Khalsa and seek their welfare. Armed with the Guru's gifts and his counsel, Banda left the Guru's camp to begin his mission.
Banda Singh Bahadur and his band made their way north. The Guru's hukumnamas inspired Sikhs along the way to join his expedition, and his ranks swelled. Banda Singh Bahadur had to deal with the expenses of maintaining, equipping, and feeding an army. He was in the vicinity of Bharatpur in modern-day Rajasthan when he was faced with a crisis, having almost completely run out of funds. In despair, Banda Singh Bahadur recalled the Guru's parting words. Tisko Satguru ye pun kahi saap bhai ham khal se dai humne khal se tu bhi ralaya tain bhi khal se o vanda paya panj singh leke tu saath kar ardas puri hoye baat the guru again was heard to say all he had were the khalsas now banda now was one of them they would always him and dow when you pray with khalsa's five you'll want for not and you will thrive banda decided to put his faith in the guru's words in the company of five six he made a supplication to the divine through ardas or congregational prayer tachit bande im ai ab lije bachan pratoye sad singhan diwan lagaye ke biche aap khaloe satguru bachan ab layo partai sikh panj tin laye bulai haath jod vich aap khaloe sarbatr khalse ik man hoye nahi kharch ab hamre paas aave kharch yo kari ardas aaye lubane lag gayi lar dayo dasvand un kai hazar so bande aaye aage dharyo karaye ardas bande hath pharyo bande bandhi khalse preet nischay bhayo bande mad cheet in banda's head entered a thought test the guru's promise i should around him he gathered all the six and among them he himself stood as if to test the guru's words about him standing khalsa's five folded hands he stood in prayer to god petition he did strive impecunious we are we look to you for succor lord and lo a train of merchants came showered him a generous hoard freely did they offering give with a prayer it was received faith in the khalsa his bedrock in his bounty he believed much relieved by the infusion of funds that he received from the band of sick traders banda singh continued his march northwards soon he arrived at the outskirts of delhi the imperial capital Banda Singh and his men moved with caution and discretion. They still did not have a fighting force large enough to take the imperial army head on. They needed more men, more weapons and more ammunition. Word started to spread about the arrival of Guru Gobind Singh's deputy and Banda's ranks as well as his coffers slowly started to grow. some having learned of banda's mission would come with horses and arms and they would be drafted others came to him for his blessings for his being the guru's designated representative 
gave him a position of prominence and respect. Generous to a fault, Banda would receive all visitors and supplicants, and anyone who provided a service to his band would be richly rewarded. Yokar bande bhai pratit, tab banda bhayo nishchal cheet, put mange tis dvave poot, dud mangat te dud bahut, jekar koi dukhiya ave kar ardas tis dukh mitave, vaheguru ka jap japave, jo mange tis sou dvave, aisi jag mein par gai dhank, aaye mile rana o rank, दूरे ते जो निंदत आवे हुए नेड़े वह चरणी पावे जह बंदा आए डेरा करे काड मोहर सो ताहबो धरे दीवे पावे तेली तेल इक मोहर तह देवे मेल ठुठी भांडा ल्यावे कुम्यार देवे मोहर काड खीसियों डार लकड़ी चूड़ो ल्यावे जोई मोहर खीसियों देवे ओई खाली किसे सोने छड़े मोहर सुदे फड़ाए जो आवे और सजूद हुए तह संग ले चढ़ाए बंदा's fame began to spread the guru's favor his powers own some came to ask him for sons some for wealth to call their own the ones afflicted healing sought cured them banda with a prayer bade them pray to be one with god brought them to relief and care far and wide his fame did spread flocked to him the poor and rich even those that him disdained the sight of banda did bewitch every time he set up camp by his side kept coins of gold for just one lamp full of oil he would hand out wealth untold a potter for an earthen pot he too would get one gold coin for a bundle of firewood a coin of gold he would enjoin thus all who served they would be blessed generously did banda give those who came with horses armed were with the Khalsas asked to live. The legend of Banda Singh Bahadur was starting to grow. A recognized deputy of Guru Gobind Singh, whose prayers were potent and who was generous to a fault. It was no surprise then that the ranks of his followers swelled and swelled until a formidable force had gathered around him. further north, Banda Singh entered the Bagar territory, which encompasses the modern-day areas of Sarsa, Hisar and Bhivani in Haryana and Rajasthan. It was a lawless land, often subjected to robbery and pillage by gangs of armed bandits. Banda's first military action was against a large band of bandits who had been eyeing the wealth that he had by then collected for his expedition. The bandits were routed, much to the relief of the harried local villagers. Banda started the practice of Palluferna, or waving the scarf. 
By the symbolic waving of a scarf in a town or village, he declared it to be under his protection, sending a warning to both oppressive landlords and robbers that people were to be left unmolested. He set up his camp in the Karkora district, which falls in modern-day Haryana, and from there he started sending letters to the Sikh of the Malwa, the Majja, and the Dwab, the major regions of Punjab, asking them to join his campaign. The prominent Sikhs who had accompanied him from Nandir added their voices to the missives, acknowledging Banda Singh Bahadur as Jathedar, or commander of the Khalsa, anointed by none other than the Guru himself. The letters reiterated the tyranny of Vizir Khan, the governor of Sarand, and the perfidy of Divan Suchanand, his minister, both of whom had played a large role in the murder of the Guru's younger sons. The letters created a stir all over the Punjab, and Sikhs began to pour into Banda Singh's camp from every direction, causing great alarm in Srand. Despite Vizir Khan's ineffectual attempts to create a blockade, a swarm of Sikhs appeared from the south. A caravan of itinerant Banjaras, laden with grain, was the next to join Banda Singh. Hordes of Jat and Brad Sikhs from the Bagar lands swelled his ranks further, and Chaudhary Ram Singh and Chaudhary Tilok Singh, whose descendants were destined to be kings, contributed men and money. Mercenaries, anticipating rich plunder when Banda Singh finally marched into Sarand, had also joined his ranks. There were several Sikhs in the employ of Nawab Wazir Khan of Sarand, the most notable among them Ali Singh and Mali Singh, Wazir Khan's anxieties at the imminent arrival of Banda Singh Bahadur found expression in taunts addressed to Sikhs in his employ. He declared that the new, quote, Guru of the Sikhs would meet the same fate as the Guru's late sons, and he dared them to bring him into his presence. Much chagrined, Ali Singh and Mali Singh demanded that they be paid their dues and dismissed from the Nawab's service, upon which he ordered them thrown into jail. All the Sikhs in the Nawab's service managed to break out of the prison and promptly marched to Banda Singh Bahadur's side. Further north, along the Satluj River in the hills around Kiratpur, Sikhs who had arrived from the Majja and the Dwaba regions had started to mass. They wanted to travel south to meet up with Banda Singh's main force, but they were blocked from crossing by the Pathans of Rupnagar and Malerkotla. Short of funds, their chiefs were under great duress as they were unable to feed their contingents. Pishora Singh and Kishora Singh, wealthy merchants of Kiratpur, came to their rescue. They started a Guruka Langar to feed the soldiers and sent word that they had arrived to Banda Singh, who asked them to stay in place until he commanded them to join the expedition.
the six around Banda Singh were spoiling for battle. None more so than Ali Singh, Mali Singh and their fellow defectors, Banda Singh Bahadur gathered together 500 men and marched upon the town of Sonepat. Sonepat was a well-garrisoned and well-protected town, but the commander lost his nerve and fled to Delhi without engaging the Sikhs. Banda was close to a town named Kethal when he heard that the Amil or chief of Kethal, a Hindu in the service of the Mughals, was on his way to Delhi with the revenues that he had collected in his dominions, protected by a detachment of cavalry. The Sikhs, who were on foot, ambushed the Emil's forces, relieved him of his treasure, and captured all of his horses. The next target was the town of Samana, the home of Sayyid Jalaluddin, the executioner of Guru Tegh Bahadur, as well as Sashal Beg and Bashal Beg, who had executed Guru Gobind Singh's young sons. Samana was an extremely wealthy town, and Banda Singh Bahadur knew that its riches would go a long way towards funding his campaign. The Fajdar, or chief of Samana, had great confidence in the strength of his walls and the valor of his disciplined soldiers. He dismissed the rumors of the impending arrival of the Sikhs and expressed contempt for their fighting abilities. On the morning of November 26, 1709, a small but fierce force of Banda Singh Bahadur Sikhs stormed into Samana from multiple directions before a single gate could be closed. A terrible slaughter ensued, accompanied by looting and plundering, in the words of Ratan Singh Pankhu. Leo mar jab shahar samano tab turkan sir kare bihano bin bodhi jo singan payo tumbad jim tin sis udayo bajire kara jab kiyo samaniye bhithe nal fojdar o bhihute palki bai var shahar samano jab leo mar gayo dalidr dalidran var तब बंदे ने चित्त बिचारी बजीरे लुटिए फौज कर भारी। When the six Samana sacked, Mughal hearts with fear were filled. Muslim heads that had no tufts smashed like pumpkins. They were killed in Vizier Khan's shameful deed. Samana too had played a part. Twenty-two chiefs off the town. Tyrants all and hard of heart, plundered was the wealthy town, impecunious six enriched, and then Banda Singh resolved, Sirand would see a battle pitched. Dr. Ganda Singh lets the six off the hook slightly by attributing the worst depredations to the mercenaries and adventurers who had attached themselves to Banda Singh's army. For hours, there was regular sanguinary fighting in the streets and bazaars of the town, and pools of blood flowed through its drains. While the Sikhs were busy sacking the houses of Sayyid Jalaluddin, Sashal Beg, and Bishal Beg, the plunderers who were following Banda Singh merely for booty were busy in their own trade. Many of the nobles shut themselves in their strong, 
fortress-like havelis or mansions, but they could not hold out for long against the desperate and infuriated peasantry of the neighboring villages who availed themselves of the opportunity to wreak vengeance upon their personal enemies and set fire to their houses. The Sikhs, during the last 100 years, had been subjected to innumerable persecutions and indignities at the hands of the Mohammedan rulers and officials. They were therefore naturally enraged against them and vied with each other in massacring them. Thus, before nightfall, the beautiful town of Samana, with its palatial buildings, was converted into a heap of ruins, never to regain its past glory. Ten thousand lives are said to have been lost, the majority among them being Mughals. Tab bande ne daud kar liyo samana maar, Fateh aai Fateh Singh ko so bande kiyo fujidar. Descending like a whirlwind, Samana did Banda subdue. Fateh Singh, lieutenant brave, with power did Banda imbue. Banda Singh's audacious attack allowed him to capture Samana against heavy odds. It was his first spectacular victory. Fateh Singh, one of the Sikh commanders who had distinguished himself in battle, was appointed Fajdar or governor of Samana and its nine subordinate districts. The soldiers in Banda Singh's force were also richly rewarded. Nawab Wazir Khan was greatly alarmed by the capitulation of Samana and he began to fear for the safety of Sarand. He sent spies into Samana to report on the strength of Banda's army and its resources, but they were detected and sent back to their master with taunts, challenging him to fight like a man. Banda Singh Bahadur was completely focused on Sarand, but being a pragmatic man, he knew that he was not yet strong enough to take Vizier Khan head on. Vizier Khan had field artillery at his command, as well as smaller guns called Zamburaks mounted on camels that could be deployed swiftly. It was critical to meet up with the six from Maja and Dwabba, who had been pinned down by the Pathans on the other side of the Satluj River in the vicinity of Kiratpur. Banda Singh started to march towards the northeast, taking a circuitous route to Kiratpur to confuse Vizir Khan's spies. On the way, he captured the towns of Ghurram, Thaska, and Shahabad, as well as Mustafabad. His next target was the fortified town of Sadora whose ruler Osman Khan was a much-feared tyrant. As he was marching towards Sadara, local supporters came to him with tales of Qadamuddin, the ruler of Kapuri. A cruel and lustful man, he was known to prey upon the Hindu women of his territory, 
Banda Singh was told that his men often kidnapped Hindu brides during their weddings and presented them to Qadamuddin, who would violate them as the exercise of his rights over them as their ruler. Unwilling to let such behavior go unpunished, Banda diverted his forces to Kapuri and put Qadamuddin's fortress to the sword. Sadhora, which had once been known as Sadhuwara, or the place of the ascetics, was an ancient town and once had been a seat of Buddhist culture. The Sikhs were aware that the ruler Usman Khan had tortured and killed Sayyid Badruddin Shah, also known as Sayyid Buddhu Shah, who had fought alongside Guru Gobind Singh in the Battle of Pangani, losing two of his sons and his brother. The Hindus of Sadhara were persecuted and harassed constantly by Usman Khan. In Sadhara lay the mausoleum of Qutb al-Aqtab, a much-venerated Muslim saint. His followers believed that the coffin of the saint had miraculous powers, and the body of no man who passed by it could ever be consumed by fire. For this reason, the Hindu residents of the town were often prevented from cremating their dead. In addition, the entrails of slaughtered cows would often be left in the street by their homes to torment them. This was extremely distressing for the Hindu residents of Sadhara, who venerated the cow. By the time Banda Singh's army approached Sadhara, its ranks had been further swelled by a contingent of peasants who, chafing under Osman Khan's yoke, had been waiting for the moment to rise against him. Ratan Singh Pangu describes the fall of Sadhara. Sher Sadhara tin sun leo, peer karamati tin me heo, use prachame chuena aag, keheo bande us dayo me daag, aag laag aise jare, jaise rui jarae, bin hi asar or ke chale samale dae. Jar use deo rak udai, to janeo ham kala savai, yekar kini bande dhai, dino so sheher lutai. Hindwan ke ghar line rak, musalman dei katalo ak, bodhi vale nehsatayo, bin bodhi dik margavayo. Banda took of Sadara note, thereof a saint the resting place. By his commands, corpses unburned, would Banda him with fire erase. Mark my words, for sure he'll burn, like fire does cotton consume. His powers to save him futile, I will to flames his body doom. Banda mightier than the saint, to ashes did the relic turn. And then Banda gave the word, attack Sadhara, plunder, burn. Hindu homes were left alone, Muslims all were put to sword. Every tufted head was spared, no Muslim mercy secured. Dr. Ganda Singh takes issue with Ratan Singh Pangu's account. There is nothing on record, even in Muslim histories, to support the exaggerated statements of the Prachin Panth Prakash about the desecration of the graves of peers, exhumation of the dead, and their consignment to the flames. The fact is that the mausoleums of Ganjay Ilam 
and Qutb al-Aqtab stand to the present day in the same condition in which they stood before the invasion of Banda Singh. The latter was only slightly smoked as a result of the fire set to it by the revengeful and infuriated mob. Dr. Gunda Singh is widely respected for his deep research and his meticulous work. Notwithstanding his comments, Ratan Singh Pangu's somewhat cheeky imagining of the sorcery of Banda Singh Bahadur pitted against the power of the dead saint makes for very entertaining reading. Peer Tabut Hut Pair Tikaya Tiske Hit Thorah Chalaya Jo Tiske Parchame Ave Tisko Agni Nah Jalave Hindu Hoe Bhame Musalman Hoe Mare So Turk Saman So Darvajio Leo Utar Kad Sanduko Vedayo Jar Chui Agan Tis Gridjo Jareo Janak Burude Tora Dario Bai Rak Us Chuto Ag Bai Kabar Yeh Mako Tag Tab Bande Yum Muko Chara Hampe Mantra Aluna Sara Isme Mantra Ah Chotai Yate Hoti Agnabujai Saints remains on a platform high under it Hindu corpses passed. The shadow of the saints remains, stayed the funeral pyre's blast. The Hindu and the Muslim dead were buried in the Muslim way. Lower the relics, Banda's command, to the flames consigned were they. As if butter the relics burned, like gunpowder in a flame, turned to ashes in a trice, Verily did Mecca exclaim, Was then Banda heard to speak, With Aluna spell I conquered fire, The saint had but one-fourth the charm, Had he it all, he'd quench the pyre. After the conquest of Sadora, Banda Singh Bahadur changed direction to the northwest with the intention of joining the Sikhs who had massed around Kiratpur. An increasingly alarmed Nawab Vazir Khan, convinced that an attack on Sarand was imminent, desperately tried to take measures to protect his fief. He tasked Nawab Sher Muhammad Khan of Malair Kotla the lone voice that had protested the murder of the younger Sabzadas with preventing the two forces from merging. His task was to scatter the Sikhs from the Maja and Dwabba before they got to Banda Singh. With a vastly superior force, both in numbers and arms, Sher Muhammad Khan, accompanied by his brother Khizr Khan, and his cousins Nashtar Khan and Wali Muhammad Khan set out to engage the Sikhs. The Sikhs, meanwhile, had left Kiratpur and crossed the Sutlej. A most unequal battle was fought at Ropar. The Sikhs, outnumbered and outgunned, fought valiantly and desperately held on until nightfall when hostilities ceased. 
Sher Muhammad Khan and his commanders were jubilant, anticipating an easy victory the following day. Unbeknownst to him, the beleaguered Sikhs were reinforced by a contingent that arrived during the night. In the morning, an overconfident Khizr Khan launched a full frontal assault. The Sikhs stood firm and let loose a barrage of arrows and matchlock fire. The fusillade killed Khizr Khan and the infuriated Sher Muhammad Khan charged. In the fierce hand-to-hand combat that followed, Nashtar Khan and Wali Muhammad Khan were both slain and their leader barely managed to escape with his life. Was Sher Muhammad Khan saved by the vagaries of fate? Or was it a divine blessing that he had earned by acting honorably in sharp contrast to the rest of uh, Vazir Khan's court when two fearless princelings had rejected the Nawab's authority and spurned his inducements? Bachyo ek Muhammado Sher Uhi Jise Hada Nara Maria Sa Vele Sahibzadia de Katalke Sheer Koire Mukhon Ucharia Sa Gura Sonke Mukhon Si Vak Kita Rahi Jadio Usanu Taria Sa Soi Ajatahi Guru Vak for Da Joe Akke Fair Neharia Sa None but Sher Muhammad, the battle did survive. To protect the princes, Sher Muhammad did contrive. Blessed him then the Guru, promised he would thrive. Through one act of honor, generations would survive. The victorious Majhel and Dwabiya Sikhs hastened southwards to meet with Banda Singh Bahadur's advancing force. The two triumphant armies met between the villages of Qadr and Banur. Banda Singh Bahadur was ready at last. Sirand beckoned. The Story of the Six is written and narrated by Sarpreet Singh, author of Night of the Restless Spirits, a collection of short fiction that examines the tumultuous events of 1984 from many different angles. His previous book, The Camel Merchant of Philadelphia, tells the stories of many colorful characters who populated the court of Maharaja Ranjit Singh. The Story of the Six is produced by Almost Media. Our theme music is a rendition of a traditional Sikh hymn by the late Bai Avtar Singh. This episode features a rendition of Raga Yaman on mandolin by Gagandeep Singh, accompanied by Gurmit Singh Jagdev on tabla. Season 3 of Story of the Six is sponsored by the Chardi Kala Foundation and the Sawney Family Foundation. I'm co-producer and audio engineer Erica Wong. Thank you for joining us. <laughs>